We're beginning chapter 2 of 2 Peter, if you want to open up there. Joni and I were having coffee with some friends and we were discussing um, valuable instruments. They're classical musicians. And we were talking about what a scam there is in uh, fake instruments. And we were talking about counterfeits, you know. A real instrument, like a Stradivarius violin, or a 1959 Gibson Les Paul. We got the electric thing going, too. These things are worth millions, and you keep them in bank vaults, if they're real. But if they're fake, they're worth nothing. Like it's an open secret that Gibson made less than 200 Les Pauls in 1959. They weren't selling. But then Keith Richards bought one, and Eric Clapton bought one, and everybody wanted one. And now there are thousands, literally thousands of 1959 Les Pauls that were never made in 1959. They're forgeries. They're fakes. Now, you only counterfeit things that are valuable and rare. There's no such thing as a counterfeit shopping bag. That's because there's lots of shopping bags and they're not worth anything. You counterfeit rare valuable things like paintings and instruments and antiques and passports and emails from millionaires in Nigeria. That's what you counterfeit. Now, the most rare thing in the world, the most valuable thing in the world, because there's only one of it, and that is salvation. And for that reason, because it's so rare, only one way to God, and because it's so valuable, it determines your entire destiny forever. There's so many counterfeits that say, yes, I too am a viable way. And yet, if you accept a counterfeit salvation, you're in the greatest danger. You think, I'm being saved. This is the right way to go. And you are not aware that you are out of God's will and that you're headed for destruction. Just the same as if you didn't believe in this counterfeit way, because it makes no difference. It's not authentic. It's not accepted by God. So a counterfeit salvation will destroy you forever. The big question is, can you tell a counterfeit? When somebody offers you something, can you say, I don't think so. That's not real. And do you have 
the only real salvation. So here in 2 Peter 2, I'm going to read what we're going to study today. And you might laugh a little bit, but this is a big subject. We're reading one verse. Here's what it says. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. I really dislike talking about false teaching because that's not my job. My job is to talk about right teaching. And to slog through false teaching is such a drag. So I'm just getting out my little rant right there. But Peter's been speaking about authentic prophecy, about words that have been spoken by God, conveyed by His Holy Spirit, spoken through a holy man or a holy woman prepared by God to be a spokesman. And that's what we have in the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. This is what God has spoken. And what Peter has been emphasizing is we have the prophetic word of God made more sure. Because here Jesus came in fulfillment of those scriptures that were written centuries and even thousands of years before he came. And it's a paper trail. If somebody doesn't fulfill these scriptures, then the guy is a fake. For example, the Messiah has to be born in Bethlehem. That's what it says in Micah chapter 7. So if someone from Los Angeles tells you he's the Messiah, you go, thanks, pal. Better luck next time. It's a safeguard. And you measure everything and everybody by what has been written, and then you know for sure. The scriptures are like the net and the lines on a tennis court. When you play tennis, you have to get it over the net the first time, and you have to hit in the lines, because if it goes outside, you don't have to hit it. So it shows you what's inbounds and what's out of bounds. And if you stick to the scriptures, you're going to be safe. They will never deceive you, let you down, betray you. But even as there's real prophecy, true prophecy, there's also false prophecy and false teachers. And there were false prophets, he says, among the people in the Old Testament. Now, some of them are pretty obvious. They're the ones that represent different gods. So you know right off the bat, these guys aren't the real thing, and yet they were popular. They were huge. Um, in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, 
we have Elijah, the true prophet of God, against 400 prophets of the goddess Asherah and 450 prophets of the god Baal. Now, if spirituality were a democracy, Elijah would have been voted down 950 to 1. But life is not a democracy, totalitarianism. It's a theocracy. And one person can be right against 950, a nation, a planet. It's not how many people vote for the truth. It's who's true. So spotting different gods is easy. But then false prophets also spoke in the name of the Lord. And you can read in Jeremiah 27 and 28 about a prophet speaking things in the name of the Lord, and it's things that people want to hear. This particular prophet is saying, oh yes, the king that was taken captive to Babylon, he's coming back. The Lord is going to bring him back. And all those holy sacred vessels that were taken from the temple as hostages, they're going to be returned, thus says the Lord. Now that's a completely different message from Jeremiah, who says, you know what? The Lord says that the king is going to stay there, and these vessels are going to stay in Babylon until I bring them back. Now, everybody wants to hear peace and safety. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to come back. But this people, Israel, are in rebellion against God. And this king being taken captive and these holy vessels being taken away are a wake-up call to say, if you don't repent and return to me, I will deport you out of the land. You're going to lose your inheritance. It's a wake-up call. People didn't want to hear that. So here's this prophet talking about how God is going to bring prosperity and peace. He's going over big. And Jeremiah is sounding like some kind of a cranky, you know, negative kind of guy like, can't you stop talking about judgment and stuff? It's like, I don't want to hear that. And finally, Jeremiah says to Hananiah, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. 
Now, Peter says there's also going to be false teachers among you. And even in Peter's time, false prophets were already springing up all over the place. If you look in verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. He says they're already here. And they're mingling with you. They're here now. Now, in verse 1, it says, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And the word there, bring in secretly, is like smuggling. And when you smuggle, that's a great word, isn't it? Just get to say it a lot and smuggle. It means to bring something in that's illegal. So you don't do it under the cover of day so everybody can say, oh, look, he's bringing in something illegal. (laughs) You know? It's like you do it secretly so it's quiet and nobody notices. Now, they're illegal. They're not authorized by God. How would you like it if somebody was running around saying something and saying, you said it. It isn't true. You didn't say that. Oh, well, you know, John said, down with the queen. What? How do you think God takes it when somebody gets up and says, thus says the Lord, and he says, I didn't say that. He takes it very seriously. So these guys are outlaws. They're wicked. And in verse 3, it says, they'll exploit you with deceptive words. And what it means is it's a forgery. It's a counterfeit. Now, when you make a counterfeit, you got to make a very clever, detailed copy. I don't want to give you tips on how to counterfeit so that you say, letter, well, Pastor Rob taught me everything I know. Just tell him Pastor Smith taught me, okay? Leave me out of it. But, you know, if it doesn't look right, nobody's going to take it. You can't pass off Monopoly money at Barclays, right? They're professionals. They'll look at that and say, you know, we need to have a talk. So you've really got to be detailed and get it right. Now, remember back in chapter 1, verse 16, Peter says, we did not follow cunningly devised fables. We didn't sit down and really think hard and make this stuff up about Jesus dying and then rising from the dead because we thought it would make a fantastic new religion. We can make a lot of dough doing this. He says, nope, we were eyewitnesses. This really happened. But 
That's what guys do. And you know, the most insidious thing is they take a lot of truth and then hide their little thing in it. And if you don't listen, if you're not trained to have your antenna up there, kind of going, boop, 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 wait a sec. So you're going to say, okay, this guy's good. He's a little edgy. He's cool. But it's, it's cool. He's right. The lie is still destructive, though. How destructive. Well, a lie doesn't save you. Even if you're sincere. You can sincerely believe what is not true. This is sincerity doesn't make it true. It has to be true. So you're trying to spend this 100-pound note and the government official says, that isn't real. It has no authority because it's missing a few things. And so it's clever. It's close. But it's not real. So it doesn't matter how sincerely you believe that that is really a hundred pound note. Because it's a forgery. And a counterfeit salvation does not save because it has no authority. It's not from God. So if you're not saved, that affects your present, that affects your eternity. It affects your present because right now, you are not entering into that eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ which is what Peter has been urging us to do. You want to enter that thing right now. But because you believe a lie, you're not doing that. And then when you hit eternity and you're outside the kingdom, you are excluded from that eternal kingdom forever. There's nothing but punishment. So... Everyone is saved by the truth with authority. And if you believe a forgery, a counterfeit, you cannot be saved. God is not mocked. So what is the lie? Well, Peter says right here in verse 1, denying the Lord who bought them. This is why the lie has to be brought in secretly so that you don't notice. Because if anybody gets up and preaches, okay, everybody, Jesus is pooey, let's all worship the devil, somebody's going to notice. What did he just say? Worship the devil? Is that what we're doing now? Okay. Wait a minute. We're not supposed to worship the devil. Hey, I hope you guys keep your ears open. 
Okay, so they don't come in with ACDC t-shirts and say, let's jump the rails today, you guys. They bring it in real secretly. Now, I noticed it kind of jogged my mind about 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Listen to this. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And you know, I think he had to make it clear because somebody probably tried that. They're prophesying, oh, I'm getting a message from the Lord. Jesus is accursed. And somebody said, what? Sit down, pal, you're done. That's not God. Get out of here. So Paul has to actually write it down so we can judge a prophecy. The Lord is never going to say, Thus says the Lord, Jesus is accursed. It's written. So <laughs> we're safe at any prayer gathering and somebody gets up and says something stupid, we can just say, that wasn't God, that was stupid. And I like that. Here's the lie. To teach a different Jesus than the authentic Jesus. Now, with a different Jesus, the resemblance is still there. Okay, white robe. You got a red or a blue diagonal, sashy sort of thing happening. You got long hair and a beard. Looks like Jesus. Bingo. Wait a minute. What is this different Jesus saying? This forged Counterfeit Jesus tells you to depend on what you do to be right with God. A little deviation there, but you're left thinking, yeah, you know, I really have to, I really have to show God that I'm worthy because he's worthy of me showing him that he's worthy. So counterfeit Jesus says that salvation isn't a free gift after all. you got to work for it. you got to show that you're worthy for God to bless you. And so the lie is going to sound like this. Do your best, and Jesus will do the rest. That sort of sounds okay, doesn't it? You start with yourself, and then you end with Jesus. Now, he's in there, sort of. But really, the focus is on what you do to make yourself acceptable to God. And you have to produce. You have to show that you're worthy. And you've got to do these eight things or these five things or these ten things. And if you do them, good. Now, the Apostle Paul had to oppose this kind of false teaching wherever it showed up. And it showed up in different places. So you can read about this in the New Testament. 
where he comes back and says, over my dead body, absolutely not. And he shows how wrong that is. Now, this happened uh, to a whole group of churches in a region of uh, modern-day Turkey in a region called Galatia. Like a whole region of churches just jumped the rails. And this is what he says. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you've received, let him be accursed. Now that's a biblical way of saying, let him go to hell. Because he means it. Now, it comes from an area you wouldn't think would be unsafe. Because it's the very work of God from which Christianity comes out of. These false teachers were Jewish. And they're teaching the very word of God, the commandments of Moses. But what they're saying is, is that unless you give yourself to obey these commandments, you cannot be saved. And Paul says, you know what? That is an accursed gospel that is not a gospel. Gospel means good news. This isn't good news. Now, he also opposed this very same teaching in Corinth, a Greek city. And here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we've not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you've not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. And he's being sarcastic there. Now, in these cases, do your best to make God happy means obeying the, God, the laws that God gave to Moses. Do what God told you to do. Now, that sounds reasonable, doesn't it? If you wanted to please God, why wouldn't you do the very commandments that God said to do? And this is where it's confusing. This is where it's, it sounds okay. I mean, it's the, it's the word of God. And yet the emphasis is completely wrong. The meaning is wrong. It's a different Jesus. It's another gospel that is no gospel. What this do your best means is it denies the master who bought you. It means to refuse 
to accept the authority, the validity of Jesus. It denies Jesus. And this is how. You remember that on the night that Jesus was arrested, he prayed for three hours in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed so intently that he had this phenomenon of rupturing blood vessels being mixed with his sweat as he prayed. It's a medical phenomenon that's been observed. So intense. And he prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Can you imagine he prayed that for three hours? If there's any other way than me having to die on the cross, if there is any other way, take this cup away. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. To the point of actually Bloody sweat. And see, the father answered the son's prayer. And he said, no. There is no other way to save men. The only way for God to be just and yet to forgive sinners is that the punishment for sin be carried out. Now that is either carried out on the sinner or on a sinless substitute because this is the provision of the law of Moses that there can be a redeemer who can pay the price to release a relative out of slavery. And see, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer who came down from heaven to be made like us. He is our relative, human just as we are, sinless, so that he can be our Redeemer. Now, in Romans chapter 3, it says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And in Romans 6, Paul says, the wages of sin is death. So, Jesus was put to death as a substitute for sinful men. He bought us out of slavery to sin and slavery to death. He bought us. Now, he didn't use money 
or bushels of corn or pigs or whatever. Because the wages of sin is death. It requires death. Justice demands the death of the sinner. So that's what Jesus gave to redeem us. His life. And it's wrapped up again with blood. You think, well, that's kind of gross. Sin is gross. And there's meaning in the blood. Again, this is the law of Moses, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And it's the proof that a life has been given. You can live without most any part of your body except your blood. In the blood is the life. You cannot live without blood. And so it says in Hebrews chapter 9, that Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And this is the fabulous thing about Jesus, is that he does cleanse our conscience. Those things that we've done and we know we did them and we know we're guilty. There is real forgiveness, real washing. So even my own conscience says it's good. It's all right. Everything's okay now because it's okay with God. He is satisfied with this sacrifice. There's authority behind this sacrifice. It has meaning. It's accepted by God. It's not counterfeit. It's real. And it says in Acts chapter 4, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, no one else can pay that price. And Jesus has paid it once and for all. Now, the only way to receive this is as a gift. You can't pay for it. You can't add your works to it because that denies that Jesus did a full and complete work. I'll help you out, Jesus. 
You missed a spot here and here, so I'm going to work real hard and fix what you didn't complete. Impossible. What Jesus did was once and for all, perfect does not need to be helped out or added to, and there's nothing you can do to save yourself. So you either receive it as a gift or not at all. But you're not going to tip God a dime and God says, oh, thank you, Rob. Thank you very much. Thanks for the dime. Not in this universe, not in any other. So, if you work to be saved, you are saying that Jesus died for nothing. You are opposing God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that will send you to eternal punishment. Because you're depending on yourself. And you have no authority with God. You can offer up all your good things to God and say, God, I helped this little old lady across the street. And I put my dishes in the dishwasher after dinner. And I always put out my trash on Wednesday. And God says, big deal. Depart from me. He's not impressed with our good works. Everything we have is like filthy rags. Filthy rags. Not impressive. So, what we get from this is that we only accept the authorized, authentic Jesus. And we don't accept substitutes, forgeries, or counterfeits. And see, the way to find false teaching is just to get right to what is being said about Jesus. You know, this is one of the reasons I don't like false teaching is they got buckets of it. And to find out what's the matter with it, because there's so much, it's neither good nor bad, but you got to sift through all that junk to find the bad stuff. And it's voluminous. I tell you, the bad teaching just goes on and on and on. You think, I have to digest all this stuff to figure out where these guys are wrong. And the short answer is no, you don't. Because every false teacher and every false religion gets it wrong right here. Who is Jesus? And if you get Jesus wrong, you got everything wrong. You throw it out. Because it doesn't matter. They've got this most important thing wrong. What else have they got right? Be nice? I already knew that. So, you ask who Jesus is. And you know, some people say he's a good teacher, the best. Some say he's a prophet, 
okay, but not God. Stop short of that. The Jehovah's Witnesses even say he is a God, lowercase g. That's not good enough. Because Jesus is the eternal, everlasting God who has always been and always will be. So the people can even praise Jesus and lift him up high, but they say, eh, not quite God. Throw him out. And don't Listen to the other junk. Get right to the point. Who is Jesus? Because the scriptures are all about Jesus. In Revelation, it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The entire Bible is about Jesus. The revelation of God. Because Jesus is the exact representation of God. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 1. And the disciples said to Jesus, well, just show us the Father. That will be good enough. I think if I saw God, it would be good. And he says, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So he was very open and unambiguous about this. He is the everlasting God Almighty. So, false teaching always gets people just a little bit off of Jesus. They can even keep Jesus in the name and give him top billing. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But where is Jesus? They never, ever talk about the cross. Jesus really is an important part of that religion. Amazing. And yet it's true. Where is Jesus in all this? Everything you look at. Just ask this question, where is Jesus? And it'll be so simple. You don't have to read eight volumes of the collected works of Ellen G. White or Mary Baker Eddy or any of these wicked, wicked people. But this also means that you have to know the truth for yourself. You can't rely on some licensed professional religious guy to get you where you need to go. Well, I don't know about that stuff for myself, but, you know, a guy with a collar, you know, he, I, I trust him. You know, that, that is ridiculous. You know, nobody hires somebody to kiss their girlfriend for them. That was a joke. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. You think, no. Because, see, God made you so that you 
would know him for yourself. And this isn't like self-hypnosis, like day by day in every way, I'm getting to know Jesus better and better. Not. You get to know Jesus. And you have to know Jesus. You have to know Jesus for yourself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. You must be born again, or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It says this in 1 John chapter 5, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself, which is the Holy Spirit testifying. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he's not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So this morning, do you have the Son of God? And better yet, does he have you? John goes on to say, And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So the best application of this morning is to receive Jesus. I'm going to give an opportunity for everyone to receive Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have testified about your Son, that in Jesus alone, is forgiveness and redemption and life. And you've testified that it is He who took all of our sins upon Himself. And you've testified that if we receive Him, then we receive forgiveness and eternal life. And you've testified that there's no one good. There's no one righteous. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, we need 
to be saved. Because right now we're under the condemnation of God. And so, Heavenly Father, today we want to pray and receive Jesus and make sure that we're putting our trust completely in the one you have authorized who did die for my sins and he rose again from the dead. And we're praying this morning to receive him. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. You be my Savior, you be my Lord. And I'm putting my trust in all that you have done and not what I have done. I know for myself, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. I've denied you. I've pushed you away. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want to receive Jesus. Please save me. Please make me your man, your woman. And then please let me have that testimony in my heart that you have washed my conscience, cleansed me from my sins. We thank you. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that you want to save us and not judge and condemn. Thank you for mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.